0: Welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast, the show about the intersection of women's empowerment, embodiment, and self-defense, and what women need to know and do to enhance their physical, mental, and emotional safety. Here's your host, fourth-degree black belt and self-protection expert, Cynthia Jolicoer-Rude. Welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast. I'm
1: your host, Cynthia Jolicoer-Rude. Today, I have the great pleasure of introducing somebody who is near and dear to me, my daughter, Charlotte Jolicoeur. Charlotte is a communications consultant for technology and cybersecurity companies that make today's enterprises and governments safer. In her off hours, she is passionate about personal privacy and cybersecurity. She has degrees in communications and criminal justice with a focus on cybercrime and cyber security. Welcome back to the show, Charlotte. A pleasure to be back. <laughs> and it's you all you this time, so you don't have to share with your sister. <laughs> I love the spotlight. <laughs> <laughs> I know you do. Well, I have a boatload of questions for you. So I want to start with just some sort of warm-up questions, and then we'll dive into the world of... The web, online life, privacy, cybersecurity, and all of that. Are you ready? Sounds good. Okay. What is your favorite hobby or thing to do for fun?
0: Ooh, it was dancing for a very long time, as you know, but still currently recovering from a knee injury. And I've gotten back into painting a lot lately. So I can see a beautiful sunset outside my balcony almost every night when it's not raining. And I've started painting those. Ooh, that's different because the last time we talked about you doing
1: painting, you were doing sort of line drawing things.
0: Yes. Abstract is not my strong suit, I discovered.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So beautiful, colorful sunsets is the thing now, huh? Yes. Lots of soft blending of colors that's where I'm at well I wonder if your early days in the Waldorf school have anything at all to do with that maybe a little bit (laughs) okay well if you could be a
0: character from one of your favorite books or tv shows who would you be oh I've answered this one before (laughs) I was I have answered Buffy the Vampire Slayer at one point (laughs) Yeah, But in thinking about that more, I think I would actually amend that to say Veronica Mars from the show Veronica Mars, because she's a plucky, young investigator who cares very deeply about her friends and family and puts her investigative skills to good use. Oh, that's great. She was one of the ones I was thinking you
1: might say. I was fully prepared to hear a character from the Tamora
0: Pierce books. Or possibly somebody from CSI. Yeah, or Criminal Minds. JJ would be another one. Oh, yes. Kind of your alter ego, young Mm -hmm. and blonde and very smart.
1: (laughs) So what is your favorite self-care practice?
0: Oh, definitely taking nice long bubble baths. Got to get the lavender bubble baths and the bath salts in there. Light a candle, have some tea, put on an audio book. Just soak. Well,
1: that sounds like a great thing to do. I try to do that on a regular basis, and it ends up being like once a month.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Not nearly enough. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's actually something I got from you. It could be a hereditary thing,
1: a genetic thing, maybe. (laughs) And I don't know about you, but when I do mine, I usually have at least one animal in the bathroom with me, kind of watching over the process.
0: Oh, yes. Mako likes to sit right at the edge and stick his paws into the bubbles.
1: And who is Mako?
0: He's my older kitty cat. Not that old. He's like six now, but fascinated by the bubbles, but terrified of the water. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what
1: a good kitty. Well, my... Last little warm up question for you is what advice would you give to young women in their teens or early 20s that you wish you had
0: known when you were that age? I was actually just talking to Katie, my sister, your other daughter about this, because there was, I believe it's a Glennon Doyle quote about disappointing people and how your number one duty in life is to Disappoint as many people as you need to so that you do not disappoint yourself. So I think my piece of advice to younger girls would be don't worry about what other people think. You know, go with your gut and what feels right to you and what feels best for you and you'll be okay. That's
1: great advice. And I I love that quote. I'll have to look. That's something that definitely speaks to me too. Yeah, I love that. Well, tell me a little bit or tell the audience a little bit about your background. Where did you grow up? What was your early life and your
0: early education like? Happy to. So sort of my elevator pitch, at least to people in my field, is I was born and raised in Silicon Valley and bred for a career in technology in one way or another. I went to school in Boston. I went to BU and... By the time I graduated, that was where all of my friends were, all of my professional connections were, my dance community was there. So I stuck around for a couple of years there. And that's where I really got started working for a couple of different communications, PR and marketing firms, mainly in the business to business technology space. Did a lot of work with green tech, robotics companies, retail tech, all sorts of different technology companies. And it wasn't really until maybe two or three years ago that I started working with an identity and access management company that has a password manager. And that really started my interest in the cybersecurity field. And it was around that same time that I started thinking about getting a degree in criminal justice. And I found that BU had a program focused on cybercrime investigation and cybersecurity. So both academically and professionally, kind of committed to the cybercrime cybersecurity route, maybe two and a half, three years ago, and haven't really looked back since. I spent the last year focused mainly on cybersecurity for government technology companies. So those are companies that contract with government agencies. And that's been a really interesting overlap just in terms of tech policy. And there've been a lot of events as I'm sure you've seen in the news that have really highlighted how necessary cybersecurity is for these kinds of companies, but also just for individuals as a whole over the last couple of years.
1: Yes, it just fascinates me that you've ended up in this field because that was where I started out in the '80s. Was in the world of telecom and network security, working for Digital Equipment Corporation, and then later for Apple, and just desperately trying to get those companies that provided services to other businesses to actually do things that would enhance the security of the products that they were selling. And it was always such a struggle because implementing security controls and things that prevent people from doing bad things or breaking into places they shouldn't be always creates a little bit of like more work or another hurdle for a good person or a good user to go through. And so it's constant tension between the developers and, you know, then you're sitting here going, but here's the threat, like, here's what could happen. So it's really cool to me that you ended up in that whole space several decades after I left it, and things have changed a lot. I think one of the most recent things was the whole pipeline Mm -hmm. hacking uh, not too long ago. What are some of the other things that you've seen happening recently?
0: Oh, I mean, Facebook, I think it was back in January, announced that there had been another breach of user data. And I don't know if you've ever checked out the website, Have I Been Pawned? But you can plug in you know, your email that's associated with various digital accounts and see what hacks or breaches you've been affected by. If you have not checked that out, I highly recommend it. It'll also tell you, I believe, how many places you use a certain password. I know Google at least has that service. But you know, there's the pipeline attack. There was, let's see, there's the Facebook thing earlier this year. There's the Marriott a couple of years ago. Um, You know, the list goes on and on. You could do a Google search for recent cyber attacks and pull up dozens of articles just for the last, you know, 12 months or so. I would say, especially with COVID, there have been a lot in terms of, you know, getting those stimulus checks. There have been a lot of cyber crimes around those online payments. Mm -hmm. So people spoofing legit people and sort of stealing their payments or what? Yep, Yep. I think it was, let me see, the FBI reported a 300% increase in cyber crimes since the beginning of the pandemic. And that was things from a sort of an evolved, you know, African Prince email scam to, you know, social engineering to find your, your password info and hacking your online accounts. Wow, that's a huge increase. Can you just spell out what the name of the site is that you mentioned? Sure. It's Have I Been Pawned, P-W-N-D. And the creator of that site is actually very well known in the privacy security world. I'm forgetting his name right now, but it's a really good site to just check your various emails on. I know i plugged in my most used email a while back and saw I'd been affected by a Yahoo breach back in, you know, 2016 or something like that. And I had no idea. Wow. I mean, me neither. You're sitting there saying that. I'm like, holy
1: cow. I've never even thought to look for something like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know, one reason why I really wanted to talk to you is there are so many very easy things that individuals can do to you know take their cybersecurity into their own hands i think most people just don't know or they think it's a lot more complicated than it really needs to be
1: well i do want to go there but i have a couple other questions for you cuz i really want to dig into like how you ended up really doing this so when did you first get interested in criminology
0: ooh that's a good question i distinctly remember reading books as a little girl as i'm sure you remember about, you know, other little girls solving crime. I don't remember the exact series, but I remember it being fascinating at the time and wanting to be like that. And then, you know, in high school, I saw shows like Veronica Mars and Criminal Minds and absolutely loved that genre. In college, I got a lot more into, you know, advocating for women's safety And a lot of the papers that I wrote in college were about, you know, policies and technologies that affected women and women's safety. And then I just kind of reached a point where I wanted to find a way to combine that personal interest in criminology with what I was doing professionally. And cybersecurity was that route, So I did some research and was already very familiar with BU, having gone there for undergrad. And that really opened my eyes to the possibilities, not just of, you know, a general criminal justice degree, but the idea that I could focus on cybercrime specifically was super exciting.
1: So what falls under that umbrella of cybercrime or cybersecurity?
0: Yeah. So that's things... And well, there's cybercrime and computer crime. You know, cybercrimes are crimes that take place in the online world. Computer crime can be, you know, sabotaging computer systems, stealing computer systems, stealing computer services. But those cyber crimes can include things like cyber trespassing, crossing boundaries into other people's digital properties, you know, like taking over a website. Deception and theft, so hacking someone's bank accounts and stealing money, pornography, so anything obscene or untoward that would cross normal decency boundaries. And then things like cyber violence, you know, bullying, doxing, any other thing that incites psychological or maybe even physical harm to another person online. Can you define what doxing
1: is? Because I hear that used a lot and I don't even know that I'm. 100% 100% clear on what it means.
0: Sure. Yeah, doxing is basically the publishing of personal or private information without the consent of that person. So I think the most well-known example is probably Gamergate, which happened around 2014, and it was a targeted harassment campaign against a couple of women in the online gaming community. And it included, you know, threats of violence from rape to murdering their families um, to actual, you know, physical threats of people showing up at their houses because their addresses had been posted online. So it's doxing like that. There's also sort of along the same vein swatting, which is filing police reports and getting SWAT teams to show up at a victim's house and threatening the victim that way.
1: Oh, so just like a random person like could call in, a, they could swap me. Yes. Even if I hadn't done anything, they could just call in and say I was doing something nefarious and boom, the police show up at my door
0: in the middle of the night. Yes. I'm sure there are Lovely. safeguards at this point because it's become a more well-known tactic. But yeah, there's not really anything stopping someone from if they have your information from doing that. Good grief. So how does this relate to the dark
1: web? Like what exactly is the dark web and how does that have anything to do with these kinds of nefarious activities?
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of misconceptions around the dark web. It's really not that difficult to access, but it's basically, you know, a place where people can interact online anonymously and that can include things, you know, from marketplaces basically like dark version of Craigslist to web forums where there are discussions of, you know, victim and their information and sharing information that way. I actually came across a website. It's not even on the dark web. It's just a hidden website where people all around the U.S. share revenge porn, basically. And there's a whole community around it of thousands of users that request information on specific women, usually high school age, sometimes college, sometimes older, and communities of these users will share that information if they have it, share photos, share videos if they have it. So it's really just sort of a dark community of things. It's not necessarily, I would not say the dark web is all bad, is all bad actors, It just facilitates anonymous interactions, which inherently leads to worse behaviors than if people knew that they would be exposed. Right.
1: I guess that's why things like human trafficking can far more easily take place there because it is anonymous. Yes. Crimey, who knew there was such a vast set of opportunities I guess for people to do research I guess in a way on potential victims like to find people to victimize and
0: also just to exploit yeah not just people do that research but to crowdsource it I think is something that you know it was talked about in the example of Gamergate because it was a giant you know harassment campaign by hundreds of people really but crowdsourcing the attacks on an individual is a really big thing. I mean, you see it on Twitter every once in a while where one person says, go blast this person and all of their thousands of followers will go and tweet at that person, mention them, tweet bad things about them and basically just ruin the entire Twitter experience for them just because one person called them to action. So if you get targeted by something like that, what can you do? So you can tell the police. Unfortunately, there's really not a whole lot they can do, especially because in cases like that, there are so many people involved. And there's not really any direct physical harm. I believe if you are doxed, you can contact whatever platform your information is on and request it be taken down and report it to police. But unfortunately, there really are limitations with a lot of these cyber crimes, just because it's really hard to not just track down the perpetrator, but determine authority and who can actually act in response.
1: Well, right, because it's all virtual. So who actually has jurisdiction over something like that? Exactly. Do you think that law enforcement, well, actually, do you think the legal system has caught up to things like this and actually has, I mean, does it identify particular crimes and are there things that people can actually get charged with or has this just developed so quickly and in so many different directions that the legal system doesn't really even have a way to define it. Cuz I know that kind of happened with stalking for a long long time there wasn't even a definition of what stalking was and there weren't laws against it.
0: Yeah, so like for example cyber stalking where someone will you know harass and follow someone's social profiles and you know not respect those online boundaries, I believe still falls under just regular stalking as a legal issue. So I do think there's definitely a lot of catch up still to be done. The legal system, the government, it's all still very much behind because technology it moves very quickly. So once you think you've got a handle on what the trend is and what people can do with it, you're already behind. They're already doing something new.
1: And do you know if police departments are getting any training on this cuz I could see you know, having something happen and trying to report it to a local police department and having them just kind of meet you with like, you know, what the hell lady, I don't even know what you're talking about. Or, you know, certainly don't have resources to spare to focus on this kind of thing because it's not real.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a larger police departments will likely have A resource, like a resource, very limited resources into cybercrime specifically, but a lot of them don't have the time or money to really invest in a specific cyber resource. But like many organizations, you know, like these B2B enterprises that I work with, a lot do require some sort of cybersecurity training. However, that tends to focus more on their personnel and their systems I would hope that it gives them a little bit more of an understanding of how it might affect individuals and the victims that they work with. But I think it really does depend on you know, the location and the law enforcement unit and what resources they have. It seems to me that
1: all a woman can really do is, if she's on the receiving end of something in this environment... You know, try to report it to somebody. If not to local law enforcement, to the platforms or the service providers that activity was happening on, then I guess maybe just becoming her own personal sleuth and personal investigator and doing her own work to try to identify how things were happening. Which is probably going to be beyond a lot of people because you know not everybody is tech savvy enough to be able to know where to go and where to look or how to trace something. But it almost sounds like, you know, you're kind of on your own. And maybe if you're lucky, something happened on a platform where that company actually does have a department that deals with this, you know, have an information security department or an investigations department or something, or maybe you're in an area where the police department might have a resource that could help. But mostly it sounds like you're kind of on your own and the odds are not really great that you could really get anything done after the fact. Mm -hmm. So to me, it sounds like, I mean, if that's true, then really prevention is where to start. Is that right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I would say, you know, just from my experience on the, you know, business side of things, that's where a lot of companies are spending their resources now is prevention and mitigating these attacks before they happen. Because once they happen, there's really only so much that you can do. Like, yeah, you can pay a ransom and get your data back. That doesn't necessarily mean that you will or that it won't be encrypted. So it really is planning ahead. And as I had a client say the other day, shooting ahead of the duck and really, you know, planning for the worst case scenario to prevent it from happening and to mitigate the harm should something happen. And one of the things that I've been telling my clients is it's not if there will be another attack, it's when and how bad it will be. So whatever you can do to plan ahead and prepare for that known unknown, the better mm-hmm. it will be when it does happen.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, what are some of the myths or the false beliefs about the online world that can lead women into trouble?
0: I don't know if it's necessarily a myth, but I would say I believe one of the things that's leading a lot of women and just individuals in general into trouble, especially over the last couple of years, is everybody wants to share everything. And there's a lot more information in your social media updates than you realize. So I guess one myth is whatever, I'm not important. My information's not worth anything. I'm not posting anything potentially harmful. I've had this conversation with friends where I go through their public Instagram feed and I identify their mother, her maiden name, where they were raised and born, their dog's name, their birthday, their sibling's name, the high school they went to, their high school mascot. Think about that information. You're just sharing it. Say it's like your mother's birthday and you wish her a happy birthday. You now have information that could be used as one of those security questions when you're resetting your password. People don't think about how those tiny little tidbits can be used to reverse engineer the system and get more information on you and your accounts. Have you been struggling with concerns about your emotional
1: or physical safety? I wanna let you know about an exciting new coaching program that can help you get peace of mind and confidence. I've spent more than 20 years learning how to recognize and avoid people in situations that might be dangerous, and how to get out of threatening situations if I couldn't avoid them. I would love to put this experience to use, coaching you in designing your own personalized strategy for keeping yourself safe. Now, my normal coaching rate is $500 a month, but I figured out a way to make this as affordable as I possibly can, as an exclusive offer for just eight people. This is the Power Up Your Safety laser coaching program. And in this program, I will work with you over short 15 minute calls to tap into your natural abilities so that you don't have to memorize techniques that you might forget in the heat of the moment, to develop strategies, tools, and skills to protect yourself and not rely on someone else like 911 or your significant other to step in and save you, to learn physical self-defense skills based on what everybody can do that work no matter what your age, size, or shape. You also learn how predators, abusers, and criminals operate so that you can recognize warning signs and avoid being in dangerous situations. You'll create mental blueprints for real scenarios that you might face, which means that you'll be ready to act, not stuck trying to figure out what to do in the moment. And you'll develop a powerful mindset so that you are motivated to take action and don't feel intimidated or stuck in fear. So for these eight select clients, this program is less than $84 a month for a full year of unlimited 15-minute laser coaching sessions with me. We start with a 30-minute call so that I can learn more about your specific concerns and questions about keeping yourself and your loved ones safe. And then with each 15 minute call, we will agree on your homework for you to do so that you can take action between calls to move forward. And once you've done your homework, you can schedule your next call. So for example, you can have your call on a Wednesday, do your homework assignment right after your call and schedule your next call right away. If you recognize that this is the perfect solution to move you from where you are now to where you wanna be, Just go to my website, CynthiaJolikerRude.com slash laser to find out how you can apply to be one of the select group of personal clients who will get one full year of personal coaching from me for under $84 a month. Now, I just want to let you know that I do guarantee my program and my coaching So if during our first call, you feel as though this is actually not a program for you, I will promptly return your money in full. So there's no risk at all to you in exploring this option. For those women who don't want to jump into a group program or who don't want to spend large amounts of time improving their personal safety, this is the way to go because we can go at the pace that you want to go, spend as much time as you want to spend each week or each month. And what we cover is personalized and customized just for you. I'm so excited to be able to offer this solution for you to help you overcome your concerns about your safety and to finally get you some peace of mind, confidence and freedom. And I'm thrilled to be able to offer it in a way that suits your schedule and can be customized to meet your specific needs. So if you're interested in becoming one of the select number of clients, go to CynthiaJolikarud.com slash laser and sign up today. Well, tell me more about what, this assumption of like, I'm not really anybody important. Like, and I totally get that. Like, I'm not a celebrity. Nobody's really that interested in me. There's no reason why anybody would target me. Right. That's very similar to how some women think about their physical safety. You know, it's like, I'm just an ordinary woman. You know, I'm not putting myself out there as, you know, a celebrity or kind of I'm not making a big deal about myself. So nobody would ever target me. And what that misses is that they're, you may be a really good match for a particular kind of predator who is looking for somebody just like you. So I think that belief that, you know, I'm not important. Nobody's looking at my stuff. I think that's really important. Can you talk about the kinds of people who are going out there and digging for this kind of information? Like do you see the same kind of parallel where it's predators who are hunting for a particular kind of victim? Or is it more just opportunists who are just looking for things they hope they can exploit? Like what kind of people are on the other side of it, I guess,
0: is my big question. I think, you know, from the research that I have done, it tends to be mainly money motivated. It's, you know, how much can I sell this person's information for to other bad actors? Or what can I do with this information to make more money? So like, think about it this way, if hacker gains access to your Twitter account, they can then gain access to maybe your Gmail account. You might get emails from your bank to your Gmail with the information that they have from your Twitter and from your Gmail, chances are also pretty high that you reuse some passwords. What's stopping them from going into your bank account, signing in as you, and then transferring every dollar in your wallet To themselves or to somebody else. So it's not just, you know, social media accounts. It's your bank account. It's your doctor portals, anything healthcare related, your taxes, like I mentioned with the COVID stimulus checks, you know, things like that too. Any opportunity where this bad actor can make more money, they'll do it.
1: Well, that's a really scary thought.
0: You know, I back in my ancient
1: days of network security, the biggest deal was about passwords, right? You had to come up with passwords and the whole world of password management has changed a lot. So can you talk a little bit about the best ways to manage your passwords? Because I don't think I'm that atypical. I have accounts all over the place. And like you were saying, some are like medical portals, there's financial things, some things that to me are inconsequential. You know, they're just like little platforms where I have an account, but it's not like a big deal, but it's like bazillions of accounts everywhere. So Mm -hmm. managing passwords is really difficult and coming up with a way to remember them when you have a hundred or more is hard. So like, what do you do nowadays when so much of life does take place? online and you do have to have accounts that have to have access controls and what's the best way to manage all of that chaos so that you're not you know just picking one and (laughs) reusing it everywhere
0: well yeah number one piece of advice don't reuse passwords everywhere because that is a very easy way for if a hacker opens one door they can open every door and they'll try it they can you know, guess, or even, you know, using the same sort of a string or same formula. If they guess, you know, that your password is one, two, three, Facebook for Facebook, it might be the same thing for Twitter, one, two, three, Twitter. So, you know, even if you have a formula to go to, it's really not that hard to figure out once you've got one of them. And I think you made this point earlier, part of the hard part as a cybersecurity person within an organization is balancing security with usability. So my other piece of advice would be multi-factor authentication. And I know that it adds an extra step to logging in. You know, you have to get a code from your email or from text or from a different application on your phone, just to log into your bank account, your email, your social And it, you know, makes things a little harder for you to get in, but it also makes things harder for other people to get in when they're not you and they don't have access to that alternative form of authentication. And then last,
1: can I just interrupt real quick on that? Would you use multi-factor authentication on everything or just on like the most important things?
0: I think if you have the time and the service offers the option, do it on everything. You know, I do it on everything from my social profiles to like those fashion subscription box websites. If given the option, again, yes, it's an extra step. It takes maybe 15 seconds, but that makes me feel a lot more secure. But there are still a lot of websites that don't have that option built in. Okay,
1: well, I interrupted you. You were going to go on to part three.
0: (laughs) No, (laughs) no worries. Part three, I think a huge hurdle for people creating hard to guess passwords is things like I'm never going to be able to remember that. I think actually last pass, I was reading their psychology of passwords report. And they say, they asked people like how many online accounts they think they had. And I think respondents said, you know, maybe 10 to 20. The average user has at least 38 accounts. So that's almost double what they think they have. So if you're trying to remember a password for almost 40 accounts online and they all have to be different, yeah, you're going to reuse passwords. you're going to, you know use a formula that makes it easy for you to remember, but that comes with all of the problems we discussed already. So one way to make that a little bit easier for you is using a password manager. It's of course no surprise that LastPass is a password manager and they put out this research because it you know benefits their argument that password managers help secure your accounts. But they really do. And that's an easy thing that you can install as, you know, a plug into your web browser. You can have it generate random passwords for you, or you can put in your own. And all you really need to remember is that master password. Everything else is locked away in a secure encrypted vault. And you don't have to worry about it. So you got me. I have a formula. (laughs) I thought I was damn smart. (laughs) It's definitely better than password one, two, three. That's true. But I have
1: known about these platforms and programs that manage passwords. And I've just been very, very, very resistant to doing that. Because to me, it just seemed like more trouble than it's worth. And I think I have had that sort of background worry of like, what do I do if I forget that password? You know, what am I going to write it on a sticky note and stick it on my refrigerator where everybody can see it? Although for me, like not many people would see it. But can you speak a little bit if you are like me and like 38 accounts to me, that's ridiculous. I'm sure I'm well over a hundred. Yes. So I got a bazillion accounts and some of them I don't even use anymore. They were just things that I needed 10 years ago and I don't ever touch now. So if you have a bazillion accounts and you have all of these passwords everywhere, and you want to switch to something like LastPass, how do you do that without absolutely losing your mind or spending a week in the process?
0: So I actually have been doing that. I did not start using a password manager until a couple of months ago, despite having worked with a company that made a password manager. I used it when I worked with them on my work computer, but never used it for my personal accounts because of that exact reason. I went through the process of changing all of my passwords for every account I could remember last year. And that was upwards of a hundred accounts. And I'm still finding accounts where I totally forgot that I had made them, but that was because when I had originally set up a bunch of these accounts, I used the same password for all of them. So to anyone listening, they're all changed now. They're all different. Don't try it. (laughs) But it is, I mean, I will admit it is a process getting everything added to that password manager. But one thing that I've really appreciated about using the service is every time I do log in to a new account, it pops up with a prompt saying, do you want to add this to your vault? So I still have to, you know, remember the initial login But I can then change the password with whatever is in the password manager and it will remember that updated password for me. So it's kind of been a change it as you go process for me, but that's made it a lot more manageable than trying to remember every account I've ever created and changing everything all at once.
1: Well, that sounds more doable to me. That definitely sounds okay. I'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do it. I will upgrade my own security. And I guess I've probably just been lucky, but I won't really know unless I go look to that, have I been on site?
0: Well, so another stat for you is cybersecurity company Veronis has a stat that 64% of Americans have never checked to see if they were affected by a data breach. So let's lower that number and have you go check. (laughs) But then further than that, I think the part that gets me worked up is 53% of people don't change their password in the 12 months following a breach in the news. And that comes from LastPass. So even when people know that they've been breached or that there's a possibility that they've been breached and that their information might be at stake, they still don't take that one measure of changing their password. That's
1: just presumed safety. You know, again, like I'm not that important. It's probably not going to be a problem for me.
0: Exactly. And sure, maybe on an individual scale. I mean, I think it would be a big deal if somebody got access to my bank account and took every dime I've ever made. I'd be pretty upset. And that would upend a lot of my life trying to sort that out. But it's also think about your value, not just as an individual, but as a member of society, you know, with the Facebook breach, it's thousands of people that are affected and think about, you know, the information that they have on, you know, people in the US for marketing purposes, maybe even for less kosher purposes, things more nefarious than that. Think about what they can do with all of that. Amalgamated data from hundreds of thousands of people.
1: That's a little bit mind boggling. Yeah, sweet dreams tonight. (laughs) Yeah, big meanie. Let's talk a little bit about sort of the personal threats to women in the online world. What are some of the biggest threats? Because obviously, you know, a data breach to a big company where things like your name and your social security and and things like that might be stored. That definitely does pose a threat, but I think it's more, I'd like to get at like, how can that be used against women by somebody who has evil intent, you know, maybe a stalker or something like that. What are Mm -hmm. some of the biggest threats to women in the online world and like, what can they do to prevent being victimized?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think there is a wide range of, bad behaviors that can affect women online from unsolicited pictures, you know, say through like direct message on Instagram that you don't want to see to things that encroach in the real world. So somebody finding out your address or maybe calling your workplace and reporting you for something you've not done. There's a whole variety of things bad actors can do to you know, threaten your psychology, your emotions, your livelihood without ever actually interacting with you in person. I mean, we've already discussed that harassment campaign, Gamergate. I believe three of the women involved had to move after that because their addresses had been exposed and people had shown up threatening them and their families. They all received phone calls their families received phone calls their companies received phone calls about them that basically just did not allow them to continue living their lives as they had before
1: a completely different form of intrusion in our homes we have this sense of safety because we've got you know the walls and we've got doors we can lock and windows we can make sure are closed and you know we have the sense that we can keep people out And then when people find a way through those boundaries, whether it's through violence, you know, break a window, do a home invasion, or it's through manipulation or coercion to sort of influence us so that we let them in kind of voluntarily, you know, somehow that's how they get in. When I'm thinking about the online world, it seems kind of like the same thing. It's like we have this sense that we live in kind of a virtual home you know, where all of our stuff resides and we think we're safe there, but don't necessarily know the ways that people can intrude into our little space. You know, like I tend to think like my little space on Facebook, it's like, I've got my privacy controls. I say who can see what, and you know, who's a friend and that kind of thing. And I tend to think like that is enough to keep bad actors out. But it sounds to me, based on what you're saying, like that's a really false
0: sense of safety. Mm -hmm. I mean, so think of it this way. If somebody is trying to find information on where you, Cynthia Julika, Rude, live, they could go try to check your Facebook, see that you've got some pretty serious privacy settings up. That's great. They could go check your professional Twitter, see if there's any indication about location where you're tweeting from. They could go check your Instagram, see if you've tagged any locations, see if you've been traveling anywhere, see if anyone's come to visit you, see if you've said anything about neighboring cities or restaurants nearby that you've been to. They could also go to your LinkedIn, see where you went to school, where you worked in the past. They can see who you're connected to and where they live. So there's a whole bunch of information that might not even be tied to you it might be tied to your connections that you interact with that could indicate general area of where you live or spend your time that you don't realize is out there
1: so what are some steps then that that women should take like right away to increase their safety online like things to do or things not to do
0: First, go into every social media profile you have and update your security settings. Most of these profiles, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, tend to have like a security check, a privacy check. Go through every single step and put everything on as strict a protocol as you can. Sure, it might make it harder for new friends to find you. You can figure that out. But it will definitely limit the information that is accessible to someone that is not on your direct friends list. I would also go through your friends list and double check who you're friends with. I know a lot of girls, especially women my age, who maybe have a public profile on Instagram, so anybody can follow them. Going private, sure, it means you're limited to whoever follows you and you know who follows you but all of those people that you've added in the past, do you really know who they are of those thousands of followers that you might have? Do you know who they are? You know what information you have given them. Do you know what they might do with it? So I would go through your friends group, your connections on LinkedIn, make sure that you are connecting with people that you trust with your information and limit your information to everybody else. I think even on Facebook and Instagram, you can have different settings for different friends where you can limit people to certain information. If that's what you want to do without removing them completely, do that. What was I going to say? My second piece of advice is something that I do frequently because I'm just curious. Google yourself. Google your full name. Google your name with nicknames. Google your phone number, your email see what pops up. You might find old accounts. I think the last time I did this, I found an Etsy and a Pinterest account that I do not remember creating, but I definitely did maybe like eighth grade. (laughs) I've never used, but it had my full name and it said something about like, I lived in the Bay Area, California, which is why I knew when I made it. And Delete old accounts if you can still access them and don't use them. But definitely doing a search for yourself in a way, kind of put yourself in the shoes of someone who would want information on you. What would they do to get that information? And do it yourself. See what you might be able to find. I think also one of the times that I did this, I found my full address had been posted on one of those like white pages websites. Thankfully, I had moved, so it was outdated, but I frequently check because that's not the first or the last time that happened to me. And then for me, work-wise, if you Google my phone number, because it's connected to what I do professionally, you can get where I worked and my full name and my location if you know my phone number.
1: You know, what is running in the back of my mind right now is there's a tremendously good podcast called Strictly Stalking. And it's every week they have somebody on who tells their story of having a stalker and how that occurred and what was done. And things that you're saying about put yourself in somebody else's shoes and think about like how would they find information about you just fits right in with that. Because one of the themes of many of the people, not just the women, but the people who have talked about their stalkers is extreme lengths that they went to. Online to find exactly what you said. All these little pieces of information that on their own maybe don't seem that important, but it's like threads. You know, you start pulling on all these threads, and pretty soon you got enough there that you can make an entire blanket. And even with the connections, you know, finding a connection, somebody that person who wants to stalk you or or do something else can talk to and sort of groom or elicit information from. Because they're they can be really good manipulators and sound really trustworthy, and you might even reveal something about somebody else that you don't even realize is valuable. But to the person trying to get the information, it is you know. Yeah. It just sounds to me like there is so much more available about us than we really know is out there, and that it's not that hard to find all the bits and pieces and it's, put something together.
0: Yeah, it's really not that hard. And to your point about connections, I know we had discussed this when it happened, but you know, a couple of weeks ago, someone found President Biden's Venmo account through one of his connections. And I know that there have been news stories about Venmo specifically in the past. I think someone figured out the finale of one of the seasons of The Bachelor or The Bachelorette because they went through all of the contenders' Venmo histories to see who they were sending money to and from. And they figured out who won that season because of that data. So if you can use it for goofy things like that, imagine what you can use it for, especially if, you know, maybe... My security settings are the strictest that they could be, but you find out that I'm connected to you and your security settings are wide open and you have photos of me posting where I am, posting my birthday, you know, information that's not on my profile might be on yours just because we're close and we're connected. So... I hope also after this conversation, you go double check your security settings. And I Uh, will. (laughs) (laughs) But also anyone listening, I hope, you know, encourage people close to you to do the same. Because it's like those genealogy things too. All it takes is one person to send in their DNA. And if they're related to you, you might as well have done the same thing. Your info is up there.
1: Interesting. Wow. And, you know, it's such a delicate dance, too, because when you were talking about, you know, do you know all the people who are, quote, friends or followers? You know, for me, I think 10 years ago, I probably on Facebook had like 100, Mm -hmm. maybe 200 friends, not a lot. And there were people that I actually knew. And now with a lot of my business happening via Facebook, born to be a badass collective, which is the group and I have a business page. And, you know, there are a lot of people that I have accepted friend requests from over the last decade that I had a reason to connect with, but they're not actually people that I super know, Mm -hmm. you know, and it never really occurred to me, but I just trusted that the people that were presenting themselves as who they were, that they were being honest. But I'm thinking there are a lot of people. I probably have I don't know like 1,500, and that's not huge by Facebook standards, friends. But mm-hmm. I actually don't know each and every one of them personally now. That could there could very easily be somebody in that list who seemed on the surface to be a legit person for me to connect to. And you know the way that I've always made those choices has been based on who else they knew. You know, if they were part of communities that I was also part of, and I had been friends with for a while, then I kind of assumed that sort of by association, they were okay. But that was about as far as I've ever gone to validate anybody. So there can be all kinds of people in my friend group that aren't who they say they are, or who do, like you were saying, have things wide open. You know, there may be people that I actually do know and do things with who do check in when they go somewhere and I happen to be there, (laughs) you know, or do post things that are about me that have information that's personal to me that I probably wouldn't choose to share. I wouldn't really know that because I don't have the time really to sit down and comb through everybody else's settings and, you know, see where I'm exposed. So are there any tools that you can use to easily combs and find where you might be exposed? Like, is there some sort of a service or a tool or something that'll go out and look at all this stuff for you? Or is it really just a manual process?
0: There are like individual investigator type services. I knew one in one company in Boston specifically focused on like this kind of research for dating So trying to find information on potential dates to confirm they are who they say they are. But then there's also just like private investigators that focus on cyber and digital personas. But unfortunately, I do think most of it is left to the individual. And to your point, you know, having a business that requires a social presence can be a really tough thing to balance. I'm in the same boat. You know, I work with my clients and their social media channels. So I can't just up and delete all of my social profiles because I use them for work. But also, as we talked about earlier, if you take that house analogy, you can invite people into your home and vet who they are based on who they know, the context in which you met them but also just keep a closer eye on them than you might somebody that you've known for 20 years, you know, and you can do that. I know definitely with Facebook, I think also with Instagram and probably with Twitter where you can, instead of giving them access to everything you post, you can make it so that on Facebook, maybe they only see things that you post publicly And by publicly, I mean, if you have a private profile, it would only be to your general friends list versus all of the photos you're tagged in. You have to approve the tag before anybody can see it. Or even when you do approve the tag, it's only family that can see it. So you can update those settings. But unfortunately, as far as I know, that's pretty much up to you as the individual to update
1: Well, as ever, you know, our personal safety really does come back to being our own individual responsibility, as as nice as it would be to be able to farm it out to somebody else and have them do all the hard work, you know, and even just thinking about this, like there's a part of me in the back of my mind that's just like, God, you know, why do people have to be, quote, bad actors? (laughs) You know, why do they have to ruin what could be an awesome online environment? by taking advantage of what's available and using it for bad purposes. You know, why can't they just be good people? And it's funny because I hear that from women all the time on, you know, well, why do I have to learn how to protect myself? Why can't, why can't people just not be assholes? Well, there's the ideal world and then there's reality. And I mean, you've given a (laughs) really clear dose of, you know, this is the real world, unfortunately. It's not a place, I think, where you have to be scared, but it is a place where you have to be careful. And I think you've really made that very clear.
0: Yeah, careful and just aware. I think, you know, when you asked about major myths, I think people just aren't aware of the value that their social posts or their online personas might have. And they aren't aware how it can be used against them. So they don't know that they should care.
1: Yes. I guess one other thing comes up that I'd like to ask you about, which is, you know, in the realm of self-protection in the tangible world as opposed to the online world, we talk a lot about situational awareness and being able to recognize warning signs and red flags and know, behaviors and things that might be indicators that something is not right. Can you talk a little bit about how, like what the parallel for that is in the
0: online world? We can think of a couple of things, specifically with, you know, adding people on social media. If you, you know, receive a random request from somebody on Facebook and take a look and their profile picture is not a human being, or their name sounds a little weird, Uh, you don't have any connections, there's nothing you have in common, you don't work at the same place, don't live in the same area, you know, you can't really figure out who they are as a person, don't add them. Unless I think it's, you know, that authentication thing, confirm that you are talking to a real person And somebody that you might know before just opening yourself up to that potential risk. They might just be shy and using a picture of their dog as their profile picture. But rather than being polite, be safe.
1: Hey, who'd you learn that from?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that question actually got me thinking about the dating apps and how you can spot catfishes. And my general rule of thumb is if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. And I think you and I have also discussed this in terms of pay-for-play marketing opportunities. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing for those African Prince emails or, hey, you just won a new Apple iPhone. If it seems like it comes out of nowhere and it's too good to be true, it probably is. That's
1: really good advice. And that's funny because I just got something in my mail this morning and I looked at it. And thought, oh, that's interesting. And then my second thought was, wait a minute, what? And it was, you're part of a class action lawsuit. And, you know, if you, I think this was an AT&T thing. If you had AT&T account in these years, you may be eligible to receive part of this class action settlement, you know, click here to find out if you're eligible. And there was a part of me that almost clicked there because it seemed legit. And then I thought, hang on a minute. You know, like you were saying, unsolicited. I didn't even know there was an AT&T class action lawsuit. Maybe I should go research that. And I just had that classic bad feeling that, you know, maybe something was not quite right here. And I don't really know why, except that it just struck me as a little bit weird. And that sounds like what you're saying, too, with in the dating world, if it seems slightly off do some more research. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And I know we've focused mainly on, you know, social aspects of cybersecurity, but there's also the, you know, phishing emails and things like that, like you were just mentioning. And I would say when in doubt, you know, check it out, not to be, you know, creating a little jingle there, but (laughs) like authenticate it in some way. Like I got an email from a bank a couple of weeks ago saying that my credit card might've been frauded. And it looked like a weird email. The formatting was all off, but they had my name, they had my email, they had my phone number. And instead of clicking all of the links, I went to the actual bank's website, found their customer care phone number and called that directly to ask if they had just sent me that email. And if it was legitimate and it was, but I'm glad I checked because imagine if I had clicked that link and it had installed some sort of malware on my computer, or I had gone to a website and put in my bank information and it was not legitimate. So if you have even an inkling that it's wrong, find another way to authenticate it.
1: Yeah, very good advice. It's weird, all the different things now that are coming to my mind that are all related to this. I got an email from Netflix, well, purportedly from Netflix a month or so ago saying that my membership couldn't be continued because my credit card had failed. Mm -hmm. And I almost clicked on that. And then I thought, wait a minute, (laughs) I'm gonna go to the Netflix website and see what's going on with my account do it manually myself rather than using the link provided in that email and of course my account was perfectly fine there was absolutely nothing wrong with my credit card and you know who knows who it was that decided they were gonna send that to me but like you said they had my name they had my proper email address and a bunch of information and it was formatted so it looked legit the one thing that made me question it was I looked at the email that it was coming from and it wasn't quite what a normal email from a company would look like, you know, it had extra bits in it.
0: Yeah, I am. Um, so just to tie this back to our social engineering conversations, I had a coworker a couple of months ago who moved apartments. She moved just to like the city over. So she wasn't going far, but she received an email from purportedly the gas company about how they were going to turn off her new account if she didn't pay X amount of money in the next 24 hours. And it turned out to be a scam, which she figured out by calling them directly, but she had panicked because she'd just moved in a new place. They were already going to turn off her gas. It was really cold. But what had happened is someone had figured out she was moving. She'd probably posted it somewhere on social media and they knew the timing where she would find something like that believable. So that's just another example of being aware of what you're posting and how it can be used to your disadvantage. I'm just shaking my head over here. Like, good grief! And she works I, in cybersecurity. So, wow!
1: I mean, just mind blowing. I had no idea. The wide variety of you know, scams and other kinds of things that are even possible. I mean, people are so creative. Criminals and predators can be so creative in what they want to do. It truly is a challenge to even wrap my mind around some of these things as even being possible. And I guess the tricky thing is when I'm teaching self-defense, one of the things we talk about is creating mental blueprints, right? So thinking about potential scenarios where you might need to take action. And it's so much easier to do that in the real tangible world. But I almost feel like I don't even know what the possibilities are in the virtual world. So for me to create mental blueprints about how to react to things or how to handle things is much harder. So it's really helpful hearing some of these anecdotal stories because it's like, oh, so if I get an email like that, here are some of the things that I can do. Or, oh, if I get a phone call like that, here are some of the things I can do. Other things that you would think might be useful just as examples of, you know, what to look out for or, you know, things that might be like a good blueprint For this is something that might happen, maybe not exactly like this, but it should trigger that alarm bell.
0: Yeah, I think um, with emails specifically, I know a lot of people go through like a basic cybersecurity training that their organization or company requires. So this might be covered in a lot of those, but just basic, basic email safety is do what you did, look at the sender, see if it looks like a legitimate address. And like, be really careful about it. Cause for all you know, it could have come from admin at netflix.com, but the L is actually an uppercase I. Check any URLs that are sent to you. in a lot of email posts, you can hover your mouse over the link and see where it actually leads to versus where it says it leads to. Definitely don't click a link unless you know where it goes. When you are on a web page, look at the URL the same way you would an email address and verify that it is what it actually should be. And then I would say, when in doubt, authenticate it a different way. If it says it's coming from your bank, find a trusted number to your bank to call instead of responding to that email or calling that voicemail number back. Definitely just that attention to detail, I think, is what gets a lot of people.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that whole thing of, you know, substituting an I for a one or something like that, or vice versa, or an O for a zero and that type of thing. I really hadn't even thought about that until I saw something, saw an article about it last week. Yeah, it's like, holy cow, it never occurred to me how similar those things were. And that's what you're doing is you're activating your reticular cortex. It's like when you want to buy blue Honda Civic, all of a sudden you see a blue Honda Civic everywhere you turn if you all of a sudden you're thinking about, you know, is that an O or a zero, or is that an L or a or a one or an I, you know, then you start to see things with different eyes. And that's a really cool, that's a great tip. I mean, you've given a lot of really good actionable tips right here, you know, all the way back to the beginning where we were talking about the password security. So many good steps to take here, Charlotte. Thank you.
0: Of course, this was really
1: fun. Well, I have one more question and you know what it is because I ask every single person who's on the show. <laughs> How do you think that women can develop their own personal power and courage?
0: I think it ties back to my advice in the beginning. I think prioritizing yourself and knowing your worth gives you a lot of strength. And I know that this is something that you talk about too is, you know, finding your reason. To fight back if you need to, and it's perfectly okay for that reason to just be you.
1: Wow, that is so true. And I think that's one of the hardest things to allow ourselves to believe.
0: Yeah, especially for women.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, but we are enough and, you know, we don't need an external reason at all. Mm Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Charlotte. This has been a ton of fun and I am definitely going to have you back to dig into some more aspects of cybercrime and, you know, women's safety and a whole bunch of other cool things in the future. But for right now, I just want to say thank you for coming on the show and sharing your professional expertise because this has been really eye-opening, mind-opening conversation
0: yeah. Thanks for having me back. And I know we could continue this conversation for hours. So happy to do it again sometime.
1: Well, I think one of the things we should do is we should open it up for questions and do a Q&A session for women on, you know, what are your questions about safety online and possible threats in the online world? So maybe we'll do that next time around a Q&A. Yeah,
0: great.
1: Cool. Well, this has been the Born to be a Badass podcast. Stay safe and be a badass.
0: You've been listening to the Born to be a Badass podcast, the groundbreaking show that shines the light on women, violence and safety, life after trauma and how to build personal power and courage. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode and share it with your friends, family members, and colleagues. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review that will help our show reach more women around the world. Tune in regularly for more exciting conversations full of insights and wisdom you won't hear anywhere else. And until next time, embrace your inner badass.